0: And we're going to be looking at the power of the resurrection. I'm thankful this morning that we get to look at this subject. There's nothing quite as powerful as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I guarantee that. And so let's look at this wonderful thought this morning as Paul leads our minds through verse number 12 through verse number 19 of our text. Notice what Scripture says. Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not then is not christ raised and if christ be not raised your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in christ are perished if in this life only we have hope in christ we are all of men we are we are of all men excuse me most miserable father i want to thank you for this morning god i want to thank you for this powerful portion of scripture And God, I pray that you would help us this morning to reaffirm in our heart and our life and, yea, help others to realize you are risen. And I pray that you would help us this morning, strengthen our faith, encourage us in the gospel, in the completion of the gospel. And I pray that you would truly move, shape, and guide our hearts and lives this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask, please, for your help your wisdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would clear all of our hearts this morning, that you would help us all to have pure, clean hearts, ready to listen to the scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Years ago, I began meeting with a Muslim, a man who contacted me very much just out of the blue. Uh, We had met him Several months before, actually at a restaurant, he was our waiter. And after several months, just out of the blue, he contacted me and asked to meet. And we began meeting about how to become a Christian, how to become a child of God. And he began a journey with me. And we began meeting nearly every week, looking at Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture, comparing the Koran, with the truth of the Word of God. And we began journeying together through this process. And as we began speaking of Christ, and as I began showing and giving evidence of the resurrection of the Savior, and this man began to push back a little bit steep in a Muslim family, steep in, of course, Muslim culture, he began to push back by stating this statement. He said, but Jesus was put in a tomb because he was dead. I looked at him and I said, where's Muhammad? He said, well, we can go to a very holy place and we can... Go to where his body lie. There's a great memorial, a great burial site. It's a, what we would consider a holy place. And he began to describe and began to tell me a little bit about that site. After he finished, I, said, I called his name and I said, the difference between you or between your hope and mine is the fact that you go to a dead body and I go to an empty tomb. My friends, there's an incredible power in the resurrection of the Savior. The resurrection truly is beyond our comprehension. Its power is greater than what we can ever envision. Paul reminds us in our text this morning of the great power of the resurrection and the important doctrine of a resurrected savior notice what the bible says with me in verse number 12 now if christ be preached that he rose from the dead how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead paul asks a question a very valid question wait a minute if there's some among you that think that jesus has not been resurrected how can that be if you're teaching the gospel How can it be if you're teaching the truth about Jesus Christ? If you're teaching the truth about Jesus Christ, naturally people are going to recognize the truth of the doctrine that Jesus is alive and well, that Jesus is seated on the right-hand throne of God. You're going to see the truth of a resurrected and a living Savior. He said, how is it that you still are meeting together and there are some of you who claim to be Christians and yet do not believe that Jesus resurrected. You see, some had some intellectual problems. Some had some thinking that was distorted and even deceived by Satan. Satan would love it if every child of God did not think that Jesus was resurrected. There were others in this day and age that had some problems reconciling the resurrection with what they knew or what they had studied. There was one group in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was comprised of two main groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was a core doctrinal disagreement between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is pointed out very clearly in Matthew chapter 22. You can turn there if you would like. Verse number 23, notice Jesus confronting this very core doctrinal problem that the Sadducees had regarding the resurrection. The Bible says, "...the same day came to him Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, uh, resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Jesus clearly stated he is the God of the living. I'm thankful for that this morning. If he was not the God of the living, we would, as Paul reminds us here in just a few moments, we would be most miserable. But not only did the Sadducees have problems reconciling this among their intellectual Debates and their intellectualism, but also the Greeks, who were very astute and very well studied and were very prideful on their knowledge and their ability to put things together, if we could put it that way. The Greeks likewise had issue with the resurrection. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 32, when Paul was preaching to the Greeks, the Bible says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Some mocked. Some mocked. Some looked at the resurrection and said, surely you jest. Once we're dead, we're dead. That's it. You're speaking of someone who is dead coming back to life? That cannot be. They mocked and they ridiculed. Paul was a very well-studied man. The same man who preached and was mocked by the Greeks. Paul was taught by some of the greatest philosophers and some of the greatest instructors among the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. But yet he himself had no problems recognizing and, rec- uh, and realizing that God is the God of the living. He, even as an unsaved man, knew the power of God and knew that God could resurrect the dead. Paul was almost astounded at the report that the church in Corinth was made of people who some did not believe in a resurrected Savior. He looked at it almost as it was incredulous, impossible. It was a statement and truly verse number 12 reeks with the indignation of Paul saying that this cannot be. But this had crept into the church of Corinth. It had become a doctrine that had taken root with deceptive notes. Satan would love for that doctrine to creep into this place. Satan would love for that doctrine to creep into every gospel preaching church because he knows it strips away the power of the gospel. There are theologians today that still claim Jesus did not rise from the dead. One of which is a man named Dr. Wilbur M. Smith. This man, denying the resurrection of Christ, stated this, I think that men, great giants of intellect, men whose works have been consulted by the scholars of many generations, men like Bengal, scoffed, Bishop Lightfoot, Bishop Westcott, Bishop Ellicott, Dr. A.T. Robertson, Professor James Orr would justly resent as an insult the fact that they, in finding proof of the bodily resurrection in the New Testament, were only like a lot of children fitting together a jigsaw puzzle. One of the giants of intellectualism that Wilbur Smith mocked like these men was named Thomas Arnold Thomas Arnold for 14 years the famous headmaster of rugby of course one of the prestigious educational institutions here in the UK for years author of a famous three volume book his history of rome and appointee to the chair of modern history at oxford this man thomas arnold declared i have been used for many years to study the histories of other uh, of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I have know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better or fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquire than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead." Just because one claims to be intellectual, just because one claims to be filled with knowledge does not mean that they know the power of God. Oh, they might claim all those things, but my friends, the power of God and the evidence of God is truly overwhelming. You can't question the 500 witnesses. You can't question the apostles. You can't question Paul's testimony, seeing Jesus Christ himself. You can't question all the evidence in which God presented. It was not hid as we saw last week this was transparent and open all the world could see that jesus was risen and alive and well but my friends if you say i want to see something with my own eyes why don't you travel to Jerusalem? Why don't you go to that tomb of Joseph of, of Joseph of Arimathea? And why don't you look inside for the bones of Jesus Christ? But my friends, you'll be disappointed. As a matter of fact, no, you won't be disappointed. You'll be excited because those times in which you look at the body of Jesus Christ, you're going to find it only an empty grave. You're going to only find grave clothes wrapped neatly. You're going to find truly a time in which there is no evidence of a body being there because he is not there he is risen jesus lives today my friends look at verse number 3 or 13 please notice what paul states there but if there be no resurrection of the dead then is christ not reason, not risen paul refutes this lie of one who could give personal testimony to the resurrected savior he truly is refuting this doctrine that if there is no resurrection then we are without hope. Paul had been an eyewitness to Jesus Christ being alive. He met him on the road to Damascus. He was convinced without any doubt that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was risen. If there be no resurrection. Some have a hard time with that a resurrection. But why do we have a hard time about resurrected bodies? Think about this for a moment. Our bodies are comprised mostly of carbon-based elements. And yet, our God can take carbon, the same substance that makes us up, Under great pressure and under great power, comprised of a clear, beautiful diamond that we give to our wives, engagement. We forfeit. We mortgage our homes to give more diamonds. We uh, we take second jobs so we can give more diamonds. They're of great value and they're great beauty. The clarity and the stunning nature of them. And yet, it's just carbon. But at the same time, that carbon can be packed looser and arranged in a different way into which you can do what we did the other day with it where we put some briquettes of carbon in a barbecue. And you can light those pieces of charcoal on fire and you can cook your hamburger or steak or hot dog on and you just burn it and yet it's just carbon if god can take the same element that we are made of and make beautiful diamonds and take that same element and make it something in which we warm our homes or warm our food thereby and took that same element and made and shaped us out of his own hands and his own image why is it incredible for us to imagine that Jesus Christ, God himself, could not raise the dead? Paul reminded the church in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse number 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of Of God, and notice this: and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, think about this for just a moment. God tells us that He's going to rise our bodies first if we've died before He comes in rapture. There have been some that have been dead for thousands and thousands of years. Their bones, the carbon material is now just but dust. There have been martyrs that have been burned at the stake. There's nothing more than ash left. Some have wished for their ashes to be scattered upon waters or have been buried at sea. There's a multitude of places, truly, our imagination and our thinking about how a... One who has died in Christ could tr- uh, truly be multitudes of places as far as the carbon elements that make up our physical bodies. And God says he's going to rise us up. How is that going to happen? I don't know. And neither do you. There are some things that are just we just got to trust God by. I don't know if he's going to take the ash of all those who have, uh, who have died and put them together. And suddenly they're going to be with him. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this, that God is going to rise every child of God who has died before he comes in rapture. Why is that so hard for us to think that God cannot do those things? Remember, he spoke the world into existence by his words. He doesn't need our complete body entombed or mummified uh, in a grave somewhere in order to rise us up. He is God. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he is. I don't know if there's going to be some urns on fireplaces that are suddenly going to pop open and suddenly a cloud in the air suddenly formed into a body. I don't know. But I do know that God is the God of the impossible. That God is the God of the living and not the dead. God truly is going to be faithful to his word and it ought not to be something that is incredulous or something impossible in our minds for we serve a God who is stronger than the carbon in our body. And thank God for that. Oh, how much we want his mighty hand when we are ailing and when we are suffering or when we are sick if god can heal our living body can he not piece together our dead body god is the god of the impossible what an incredible thing it is that we have a god who can do all things in verse number 13 notice with it once again but if there be no resurrection from the dead then Is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying if there is no resurrection, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then we are preaching an empty message. We are preaching lies and heresy. We are preaching those things in which are not true. We are preaching truly empty words. What we are doing this morning has no meaning if Jesus Christ is not risen. But wait a minute. The Bible teaches us that Jesus defeated death. But if Jesus never defeated death, we are wasting our time this morning. But wait a minute. Those witnesses, those who saw Jesus Christ bodily risen from the dead, had a different story, they had a different testimony. It began to spread. Matter of fact, it began in Jerusalem. Look at Luke chapter 24. Let's do a little bit of a testimonial, if we can say it that way, of those who saw and give evidence that Jesus Christ is risen and alive and well. In Luke chapter 24, in verse number 46, the Bible says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Those at Jerusalem were witnesses that Jesus Christ risen was risen they were witnesses that jesus christ was alive and well and beginning at jerusalem they began to take that story that they witnessed that they saw with their eyes they handled with their own hands they spoke to him just like you and i speak together they were able to commune and eat and fellowship with him before he bodily ascended up to the right hand throne of god his father it began at Jerusalem. Witnesses began to spread and testify of the resurrected Jesus Christ. They began to take this at heart. That God wants them, Jesus Christ wants them to carry that news to others. And so they began to take it as a mission. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse number 21. Wherefore of these men which have, com- which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in, And out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, speaking of the ascension into heaven, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. This is when the disciples said, "You know what Judas Iscariot has uh, is now dead. We need another man to fill that spot, and they said, We need someone who can be a witness of the resurrection, and the Bible tells us that they chose a man who would take that spot of Judas Iscariot, one who witnessed." the resurrection it began to formulate it began to organize it began to be a story that would be loudly and boldly proclaimed for we see as it cultivates the day of pentecost in acts chapter two verse number 32 peter at this point taking the leadership of the disciples began to speak and as he spoke notice how he preached in verse number 32 this Jesus hath God raised up. What was he saying? He said he's not in that tomb. He's alive. Notice he says, Whereof we are all witnesses... We could look and see uh, see the context there. I believe it was speaking primarily to those standing there with Peter, the disciples and the, those in that church, about 120 there, that were testifying and witnesses of those things. But I believe that also could be interpreted as those who saw Jesus Christ and maybe didn't even recognize him like the disciples on the road to Emmaus who saw Jesus Christ. He says this was not done uh, privately. Others could see this truth was something that was transparent he is alive and it began to be told and it began to be proclaimed and it began to be witnessed of over and over again and these witnesses were not afraid of their opposition the disciples would be brought before the pharisees those who were questioning those who wanted the name of jesus christ to be stopped In Acts chapter 3, verse number 14, the disciples being questioned, notice how they respond. Peter, once again, speaking up. But ye denied the Holy One, speaking to the Pharisees and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of, I like this statement, of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof? We are witnesses. He, they looked at the Pharisees and says, look, you can question our doctrine, but you can't question that he's risen. You can't question that he is alive and well. We are witnesses of those things. This city is a witness of it. He is alive. As Peter would then begin to be thrust into prison and the disciples once again being questioned and begin to be persecuted for their faith and their testimony that Jesus was alive, We found we find in Acts chapter five, verse number twenty nine, Peter once again leading the apostles, leading those who have been witnesses of Jesus Christ. Begin to state, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him God hath, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Once again, Peter and the apostles continued their witness of the resurrected Savior. Peter would go and preach to a Gentile, a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And when he witnessed to Cornelius a Gentile, what did he tell him? Well, in Acts chapter 10, verse number 38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, What does that mean? That means Peter testified very clearly that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not hidden. It was an open thing. Others could see that he was alive and well. Peter wanted all the world to see. Peter wanted the Gentiles here to see that Jesus was alive. Paul caught that message, that heart. In Acts chapter 13, Paul would take that same message to what would become the mission-sending capital of the world, Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verse number 28, the Bible tells us Paul stated, And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that uh, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from galilee to jerusalem who are witnesses unto the people paul wanted that same message the same news that jesus was alive and well to be told to the gentiles to those in antioch and god began to bless and built a great church there because it was built upon the resurrection of jesus christ the gospel message. Paul would end up being brought before a king. And as he was brought before a king, he would testify to that king named Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And what did he state before a king in a court of law, if we could put it that way? In verse number 8, he says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God Should raise the dead. Over and over again, you can see in the book of Acts the witnesses gathering and spreading what? The message of the gospel. We could summarize all of the book of Acts in one verse. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 33. The Bible says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. My friends, it's our message. We are not telling someone about a dead God. We are telling others about the living Savior the God of the living, not the dead. Speaking at a church years ago was a man named Pastor Schutes, who was a German refugee, a fugitive from the Gestapo when a wanted man. He had been a well-known German pastor, a man whom the rising Nazi leaders had taken note. He told how one day he attended one of the giant rallies that Hitler and his henchmen were so skilled in staging. The speaker at the rostrum was waxing eloquent against the Jews. The audience was responding with mounting hysteria. Then the speaker had spotted Schutes in the crowd. He picked him out as the butt of his scorn. Pastor Schutes, he said, you are a fool. Fancy believing in a crucified. Dead Jewel, a dead Jew. Pastor Shutez immediately jumped to his feet and, in ringing tones, which could be heard all across the auditorium, Shutez replied, Yes, sir, I should indeed be a fool if I believed in a crucified dead Jew, but I believe in the risen living Son of God. And my friends, that's the difference this morning. If we, we truly would be fools this morning to come and to gather and to worship a dead Jew. But we are not gathered here to worship a dead Jew. We are are gathered here this morning to worship a resurrected Savior. And thank God for the power of the gospel. God's power is without limits. He is alive and well. The Bible teaches us in verse number 17 of our text, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Yet, excuse should be, ye are yet in your sins. If there's no resurrection this morning, you and I are in trouble. Our s- sins are still on our account. If there's no resurrection this morning, we have no reason to pick up this book right here and to begin to pa- read page After page to read Genesis from Revelation, to begin reading it over and over and over again. My friends, if there's no resurrection this morning, the hymns that we sang just a moment ago are empty. They are worthless. They have no power. They would have no meaning. As we lift up our voices in prayer, there's an emptiness. There's a hopelessness there. There's a desperation of truly empty vain words my friends if there is no resurrection this morning what i'm doing at this very moment is without power without the help of god without god's grace it is truly a time of a fool's errand my friends if there is no resurrection this morning then there is no forgiveness of sins your sins are still on your account and you are destined for an eternal place called hell there is no hope we are truly destined to spend eternity paying for our sins this morning. But yet, every sacrifice in the Old Testament began to portray exactly what Jesus Christ would do. Like a giant arrow pointing to Calvary, to the hill called Golgotha, as truly Jesus Christ would pay for the price of sins. But as we think about those sacrifices the lambs, the bullocks. We've been reading through uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, We started in Genesis. We're now in Exodus as a a family here over the last uh, few months. And we've been reading recently about the preparation for all the sacrifices and all the things that uh, that go into picture what Jesus Christ would do as he would be the sacrifice for our sin. The lamb that was slain. But when you think about those sacrifices, they were truly sacrificed. Not one of those lambs ever came back to life. Not one of those oxen or bullocks ever came back to life. Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God. He would pay the price. He would die like those lambs died in sacrifice. But watch this. If the the story simply stopped there, if it was just the sacrifice that was needed, then that means he would have succumbed, and the power of the sacrifice, the power of our sins, the power of death was too great for God Himself. To defeat and to conquer. But that is so why it's so important that Jesus Christ rose again, because if he did not rise, then sin is too powerful for God, death is too strong for our Savior. He truly is succumbed to the weak or to the power of sin, Satan, and hell. But the story doesn't stop there. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, He laid down His life for us. But I'm thankful that Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 4, verse number 25, He was delivered for our offenses. And He was raised again for our justification. You see, God can apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our sin account He can remove our sins. Why? Because he was, or excuse me, he paid for our sins, but he rose again. The power of God raised up Jesus Christ. He truly is alive. And because he defeated death, because he defeated sin, because he defeated hell. My friends, you and I have hope this morning and we can be assured that our sins are forgiven. Why? Because his blood has been applied to the mercy seat of heaven and we can know that our sins have been washed white as snow. Satan wants you and I to believe that Jesus is in the tomb. The demons of hell know the power of the resurrection And will do everything they can to sway our minds to refute the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But thank God, it is a lie. He lives, and Jesus lives today. We serve a resurrected Savior, my friends. And if not, we are of all men most miserable. Notice what Paul says in verse number 18 then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men most miserable. If there's no resurrection, then we have no hope of ever seeing our loved ones who have died in Christ again. If there's no resurrection that we are just like an animal, that when it has died, It's gone. That's it. It's done. There's no eternal spirit. It's life is over. If there's no resurrection when we close our eyes for that last moment, breathe that last breath, then there's nothing else. What a sad hope. What a sad way to live. Nothing could be added to the story. That means the martyrs who allowed their bodies to be burned or their limbs to be removed or their bodies to be horrifically tortured, withstood all the pain and suffering for absolutely no reason. It was empty. It was a meaningless death. Those who have borne unbearable burdens or have struggled with difficulties seemingly too painful and too difficult to endure as they followed God through His will, as they followed God through the plan that He had for their life, would only be defeated in the very thing that sin designed death if there is no resurrection all those who have heralded the truth who have spent countless hours and invested countless amounts of money to getting the gospel have done so all in But wait. On that first day of the week, something happened. Before the morning broke, something took place. As that sun began to dawn, as that sun began to rise, something happened. 2,000 years ago, that tomb. And the stone that was on in front of the tomb sealed by Roman soldiers suddenly began to move. The stone began to roll. The soldiers fainted because of the sight of the angel of God resting upon that rolled away stone, A stone. Peter, Mary, and others, John, would go in And they would look and see, be witnesses that Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ was not there. He had risen. The tomb is empty this morning. We have an assurance of a resurrected Savior. We have hope of joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have hope this morning of eternal life. We have hope this morning of a relationship with God Himself. We have hope this morning for forgiveness of sins. Why? Because He lives this morning. The fact is today, Jesus did exactly what He said He would. For in John chapter 11, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There is power this morning in the resurrected Savior. Satan wants every person on this earth right now to think there is no resurrection. May I encourage you this morning, trust the words of Christ. He does not fail. He is risen.